which is from Psalm 8. And it's titled, To the Choir Master, According to the Gittith, a Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honour. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Just going to invite Peter to come up. Pray for you. Thank you. Lord, we just bring before you our um, brother and your servant Peter this morning. Um, We ask that you will be giving him your peace as he speaks and you'll be guiding every word that he says. Um, We ask that he will know your presence with him, um, leading him, um, giving him exactly the right words to say. And we ask as well that our hearts will be open to hear the truth that you are speaking this morning and that we will be willing to listen and willing to obey. In your name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for your invitation. Welcome. It's great to be back uh, here and uh, a joy to and a privilege to be preaching to you this morning. Although we're going to start at Psalm 8, we will range uh, throughout the Bible uh, during the morning. So uh, please hold on to your seats as we do that. I want to start with the uh, question from Psalm 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? As the, uh, as the writer of the psalm, presumably David, looked out to the starry sky, he saw a very big universe. But we, of course, are told that the universe is not only bigger than David imagined, but getting bigger all the time. And the bigger the universe gets, the more irrelevant human beings appear to be in the big scheme of things, if there is indeed a big scheme of things. And I think one of the reasons why we're so busy looking for life on other planets or aliens out there, as if there weren't enough aliens around us, uh, is that we, we want to feel that we're not alone in this vast expanding space. What is a human? What are we as human beings? What significance do we have? What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? People learn from popular science that human beings are nothing more than animals. 
And people learn from popular science that human beings are just accidents, specks of cosmic dust with no meaning, no creation, no purpose, no destiny, no significance. When you look in a mirror in the morning, and I hope you do, what do you see? Who are you? What are you? It's a very basic question, isn't it? There are some easy answers. I am not a rabbit. I am not a newt or a toad. I'm not a cane toad. That's a helpful start, isn't it? You know what you're not. The question is, what are you? What is a human being? One philosopher answered that question by saying, well, I think, therefore I am. Therefore, human beings are thinkers. Well, that isn't always evident when we look at the world around us. Uh, perhaps you think, well, to be a human being is to shop. That is my destiny. I'm designed to shop. Or I'm designed to be beautiful. I often think of that myself. <laughs> There's no need to laugh. <laughs> I'm looking for the inner beauty, of course. Of, uh, of course. Or human beings are designed to be fit best of luck. Or, for many people today, human beings are entities which have needs which need to be met. I'm a person of needs and my needs must be met. Or, I'm a holiday person and my great destiny is to go on a holiday. I'm at the age where my friends are making bucket lists of things they must do before they die, as if you would spend eternity thinking, oh, I wish I'd gone to Bali, you know. I'm enjoying God, but really, secretly thinking, Bali, I missed out. Bother. <laughs> well, Psalm 8 gives a most extraordinary answer. Verses 5 to 8. Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour, given him dominion over the works of your hands, put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes along the paths of the seas. Short answer, you've crowned us with glory and honour. Well, that's a bit of a shock, isn't it, when you look in the mirror in the morning and see someone crowned with glory and honour? Is that what you see? You see, uh, the Christian writer Tozer wrote that the most important thing about us is what we think when we hear the word God. But I think the second most important thing about us is what we, hear, what we think when we hear the word human being. For we have to know God, but we have to know ourselves, what we are. Well, Psalm 8 is like a meditation on the first chapter of Genesis. And there we learn that God made human beings to be his images. An image of God 
is a being who relates to God. An image of God is someone who represents God. An image of God is someone who serves God. An image of God is someone who is an advertisement for God. So if you go to uh, pagan temples and so on, you'll see an image. uh, I often go to India and uh, and Sri Lanka and so on, and you see images of the elephant god, or you see an image of a god, and that's meant to remind you of the god. But in the Old Testament, uh, the people of God are forbidden to make images of God, that is, pictures of God or statues of God, precisely because it's human beings who are meant to be images of God. So we are designed to be an advertisement for God, a reminder of God's presence in the world. I often uh, meet children, or indeed now grandchildren, of people I know, and I'm always tempted to say, you remind me of somebody I know. (laughs) Who is it? But actually, of course, I can say that to any human being, can't I? You remind me of somebody I know. Who is it again? Oh, it's God. That's right. You remind me of God. Isn't that extraordinary? You remind me of God too. Well, so do you. Well, actually, the room's full of advertisements for God. Isn't that a stunning thought? That's your destiny. That's your dignity. That's our glory. That's our honor. We're living images of a living God. Wooden idols, as we learn in the Old Testament, can't speak, can't hear, can't act, can't save. But we're designed, we're planned by God to be advertisements for God. Listen to this from 1 John 4. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. So every time you love, you're a reminder of God who loves. Or Jesus says, doesn't he? I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Children are like their Father, you see. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends his rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Every time you are indiscriminately generous and kind, every time there are kind of spontaneous acts of kindness in your world, you are a reminder of what God is like. Because God is kind to everybody, not just his friends. And the challenge of being an image of God, as we learn in Genesis 1, is that we are both dependent on God and accountable to God. That's why what we do matters. I have two dogs called Beatrice and Bertie. Bertie is extremely well behaved and Beatrice is very badly behaved. I heard a crash from the kitchen the other day and went out and there was Beatrice having leapt up on the bench, uh, taken a piece of meat which was defrosting, jumped off the bench, hit a coffee pot on the way past and there was coffee and uh, glass everywhere. Beatrice in the corner with this food in her mouth grinning from ear to ear. Bertie in the other corner saying, "I, I told her not to do that. I said, Beatrice, don't do that, you'll get into trouble. 
Well, I couldn't get cross. It was such a funny sight, I must say. But you see, with animal sin, it doesn't matter very much, unless you happen to be sat on by an elephant. But when human sin, it does matter. You see, it's precisely because we do matter so much, precisely because we have such a glorious destiny, a wonderful calling, precisely because we are crowned with glory and honor that what we do matters. Because we are designed and programmed to be reminders of God, presences of God in our world. And the wonderful thing is that the glory that God gives us, that God gives us, doesn't diminish his own glory. Psalm 8 begins and ends, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So God is so glorious, so splendid, that he can give us glory and not diminish his own glory for a moment. In fact, the glory of God is increased by the glory he gives to humanity. But of course, this is not just about you and me. You see, if God has made all humans glorious in his own image, then we have to treat other people with that respect, don't we? I do a lot of reading in early Australian history. One of the striking things in early Australia, early Australia, that is, after the, uh, the British arrived, is that unless you believed that indigenous people were made in the image of God, you were likely to allow them to die, if not kill them, if not rape them. It was people who believed that indigenous people were made in the image of God who did not abuse them, but tried to care for them as best they could. And here's a thought. Every neighbor you have is someone made in the image of God. So, if you believe the Bible... You'll treat all other human beings with great respect, whether they're old or young, whatever color they are, whatever their ability is. You'll treat them with great respect, not because of their personal qualities, but because they too, men, women, and children, are made in the image of God. Well, you might say, when I look in the mirror, I don't see the glory of God. No, but if you look into the mirror of the word, of the Bible, there you will see the truth, won't you? Our mirrors don't tell us the truth. They give us the surface appearance only, as I keep on reminding myself when I look in the mirror in the morning. The Bible tells me what is reality. So, next time you look in the mirror in the morning, say to yourself, you can do it either way. You can either say, I am an image of God. Or you, speaking to the image in the mirror, you can say, you are an image of God. That's who you are. What is a human? First answer from the Bible, glory given. That is glory given by God. What is a human? Glory given. Second answer in the Bible, glory gutted. Romans chapter 1. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the 
glory of the immortal God for images to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. As someone has said, God made us in his own image and we returned the compliment. And what pagans do, what non-Christians do, is to worship fallen images of themselves. So in Paul's world, the world in which Paul wrote Romans, of course the gods of, the Greek, of Greek and Rome, the gods of the barbarians, the false gods worshipped by God's people, beginning with the golden calf. Let me introduce you to the Greek god Zeus, who morphed into the Roman god Jupiter, alive and well, as it were, in Paul's day. As you hear this brief summary, just think of the effects of worshipping a god like this. Zeus was the child of Kronos, who had eaten all his previous children. Ideal family life, really. Uh, Zeus escaped, he married his sister Hera, and he was renowned for what the historians, historians politely call his erotic escapades with goddesses, nymphs, and humans. He famously raped the woman Leda by disguising himself as a swan, a nifty trick if you can manage it. And he liked throwing thunder and lightning. Let me tell you about the bad old days of life of God's people in the Old Testament times. At one time in Israel, King Rehoboam set up male cult prostitutes among God's people. The theory was the more sex you had, the more fertile your land would be. And you could have sex with either female or male religious prostitutes provided by religious leaders for that purpose. You see, if you trash God's glory, God's glory, then you trash your own glory as well. If you worship false gods, you demean yourself. You see, we choose our gods and they chain us and change us and choke us. If you worship money, money will kill you. If you trade in God's glory, you get rubbish in return and rubbish yourself as well. Have you ever met a worshipper of sexual satisfaction? They are such boring people. Because they walk into a room and the only thing they're looking for is the potential partner. Everybody else is irrelevant. That is, potential victim, I really mean, don't I? Isn't that sad? What a way to live your life. And on a more trivial level, the people who worship the God of happiness, permanently discontented, never happy enough, because all of a sudden they have that wonderful holiday and on the way to the airport they stub their toe and the happiness dissolves like that. Happiness is a pathetic God. You see, when you exchange God's glory, trade in God's glory, you get rubbish in return. But we in the West have now moved to the next step. We've thrown away godlets, little gods, and each person has started being their own god. This is what people are being taught today in what many people believe. You see, if there is no God, then we are not created and we have no one to trust, no one to help, no one to serve, no one to judge us. If there is no creator, we're taught, we have to create ourselves. If there's no creator, we have to become self-creators. 
we become self-creators because there is no creator. Self-creators because atheistic individualism gives us no other options. So what our society assumes and believes, and what many are being taught, is that each person has a moral duty to create themselves. Each person must create their own personal version of reality, their own moral values, their own identity, their own sexual identity. Each person has a moral duty not to meet the expectations or demands of others. Each person has a moral duty to break stereotypes and expectations. Each person has a moral duty to experiment with different options. And each person can create themselves to be and to do anything they want. In the words of one scientist, if we don't play God, who will? Well, what society does that produce? It's so destructive of the individual as it is destructive of morality as destructive of community or society. And imagine saying to a six-year-old, you have to create your own reality. What a wicked thing to do. What an intolerable pressure. No wonder we've produced generations of conformists who can only think of doing what all their peers are doing. You see, self-creation is self-obsession, the end of community. Self-creation, because there's no God, leads to confusion, anxiety, and depression. Here, the tragedy of these words from Romans 1. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. This leads inevitably to Romans 3. They have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For if we rubbish ourselves, we rubbish God for God made us for glory. What is a human glory given? What is a human glory gutted but not completely lost, is it? Our glory is gutted but not completely lost. We're disfigured but not discarded. We have, if you like, the muscle memory of what we ought to be doing, the kind of lives we ought to lead, the kind of ideals we ought to have, but we have the muscle memory but not the power to perform. We have the sense of responsibility about our world, but not the energy or the wisdom to act effectively. And one of the great tragedies of our contemporary world is that we know we ought to be doing better in caring for each other and for all the nations and for our creation and for this world. We have the ideals, but we find it impossible to achieve them. There are moments of excitement, aren't there, like the cave rescue in Thailand? Isn't that wonderful? It actually worked against all the odds. But that shines out in light in the midst of great massive darkness, doesn't it? Of good things we're trying to do but failing to achieve. Glory gutted. But then, the third answer, what is a human? Glory restored in Christ. We began with Romans. They exchanged the glory of God. They fell short of the glory of God. But we read in Romans 3, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And in Romans 8, those whom he justified, he also glorified. What is a human? Glory given. What is a human? Glory gutted. What is a human? Glory restored in Christ. As you've read in Ephesians just recently, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life, 
and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. For to be an imitator of Christ, to be shaped into the likeness of Christ, is to be restored in the glory of God. For we read in Hebrews chapter 2, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. It's been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels and to crown him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. The writer of Hebrews says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. We do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, then you are glorified in him. You share his glory. He gives his glory to you. He learned obedience through what he suffered. He's a forerunner on our behalf. We've fallen short of the glory that God has given us, but in Christ, our glory, that image, is restored. As we read in Colossians, do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is neither Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or three, but Christ is all and is in all. Here is the point, you see. It's not that God discards our, us when he makes us believers. He doesn't discard our bodies, our hearts, our minds, our character, our temperaments, our habits. But he transforms them slowly and gradually by the work of his spirit within us and by the power of the death and resurrection of his son. This is precisely why progress in the Christian life is so slow. Because God is not discarding us and starting again, creating an entirely new person. No, he is renewing the old person. He doesn't just delete the software, throw away the hard drive and start again. No, he changes us from the inside out. And one of the most beautiful sights in the world is someone being transformed from the inside out by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most beautiful women I've ever met was a woman called Heather, who was uh, 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 in her late 70s, very ill, very poor, uh, uh, in a church I used to attend. And she said to me one day after church that she was so pleased because the local... She was a very poor woman. She lived in the housing estate in Paran. She said, the local council has given me money so I can buy... Uh, lunch and cook lunch for my friends in the flats next to me. You see. So she had a Zimmer frame, a walker, she'd go down to the market each morning, buy the food, take it home, cook it, and then serve each of her neighbours uh, their lunch. And she said, I always buy a bunch of flowers because I put a flower on everybody's tray so they'll know they're special, you see. The beautiful thing was she was not boasting for a moment. She was saying, what a privilege this is. What a joy this is. And I thought to myself, you are so beautiful because 
the glory you had lost has gradually been restored from the inside out. You see, she was doing good works, not thinking, I'm doing a good work. She didn't know she was doing a good work. She was just doing it automatically. What a beautiful sight that is. A great sign of the transforming power of Christ within us. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as through reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Well, what will you see when you look in a mirror in the morning? Will you say, why there's someone being transformed from one degree of glory to another? Probably you won't think that, because you know your frailties and your weaknesses. But other people will see it, you see. And they'll praise God for his kind work in you. What's it like when God transforms us into his glory? Not just to be better people, but into his glory. Here it is. God weans us off our petty idolatries so that we worship him alone and have no other gods or godlets. God forgives our sins and cleanses us of our sinful tendencies gradually by the power of Christ's blood. God works all things for good in our lives. God indwells us by his Holy Spirit. God shows us who he is, who we are, and who he wants us to be, and who he is making us in the pages of the Bible. God joins us to his people, adopts us as his children, and embraces us in his love. God challenges us, corrects us, disciplines us, grows us, and makes us holy. And we learn to trust God more and more, to worship and serve him and not ourselves. We learn to love God and love our neighbor. We learn to serve God with our strengths and our gifts and to trust him with our weaknesses. We learn to pray, to praise, to worship and adore our great God and Savior. We learn to repent of our sins and put them to death, and we learn to walk in newness of life. We learn to speak of our gracious God to others and encourage them to trust him as well. We learn to love his people, the Church of Jesus Christ, and we learn to serve God in his world for his glory. What is a human being? Glory given. What is a human? Glory gutted. What is a human? Glory restored in Christ. An elderly, very elderly friend of mine was asked recently how his health was. His reply was, nothing a good resurrection won't fix. <laughs> Here's Paul in Philippians 3. 
Our citizenship is in heaven, and from there we're expecting a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory, by the power that enables him to make all things subject to himself. And Paul explains what this resurrection body will be like in 1 Corinthians 15. It's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that is Christ, became a life-giving spirit. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled, death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, you won't know what to do, how to live, what to expect if you don't know who you are. What is a human? Glory given. What is a human? Glory gutted. What is a human? Glory restored in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to look into the mirror of your word and see ourselves as we really are as you see us. Please help us to see in ourselves and in others the glory you've given us, the great destiny you have for us as human beings made in your image. Help us to see with tears glory gutted as we see our own weakness and frailty and our sins and the frailty and sins of humanity so evident in our world today. But also give us the faith to see our glory restored in Christ as we trust in him. And please do your gracious work in us and in your people and transform us into the image of your son and raise us in his likeness on the last day for your glory. In his name we pray. Amen.